What toy gave the NFL the name for its biggest game of the year? And what famous artist painted from the back of their Model A Ford? <laughs> really? <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. So, Marcia, <laughs> what toy gave the NFL the name for its biggest game of the year? Oh, gosh. What's the name of the biggest game of the year? The Super Bowl. Super Bowl. So what was the toy that gave that game its name? Uh, the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl. Was you Remember it? those? Yeah, those little round hard things. Very hard things, yeah. Yes, the Super Bowl was a toy invented by Norman Stingley, who was a chemical engineer. In 1964, in his spare time, he accidentally invented something, a goopy <laughs> rubber-like substance made from synthetic material used for automobile tires. Those were cool. He compressed it with 3,500 pounds of pressure, and it had an incredible bounce. <laughs> they could bounce up to 92% of the height from which they were dropped. Wow. He took it to Whammo, the company that did the uh, Frisbee and the hula hoop, and they marketed it as the Super Bowl. Those balls were so compressed, Whammo sold 20 million of those between 1965 and 1970. Oh, jeez. 98 cents, the original price. Yeah, that's why we could all afford them. So how did that lead to the Super Bowl? Well, when the National Football League and the American Football League were discussing a merger and a championship game in the late 60s, the owners were struggling to come up with a unique game name. Uh-huh. Pete Rozelle, he was the NFL commissioner. Oh, yeah. He suggested the big one. <laughs> Let's call this big game the big one. No. No, that never no. caught on. The World Series of Football, that was also rejected. Yeah. The first games were called the AFL-NFL World Championship Games. Yeah, that's when the Packers won the first one. And then the American Football League founder, the Kansas City Chiefs owner, said, ah, we could call it the Super Bowl. He said the name probably registered in my head because my daughter Sharon and my son Lamar Jr. had a children's toy called a Super Bowl, and I probably interchanged the phonetics of bowl and ball. <laughs> so the press started calling it that. It's been the Super Bowl since 1969. Okay. Wow. Well, very interesting. And that's how the Super Bowl, a child's toy, gave the NFL the name for its biggest game of the year. Okay. What famous artist painted from the back of their Model A Ford? Back of the Model A Ford. Was that Picasso, possibly? No. Okay. W was it somebody who painted landscapes by any chance? Uh-huh. Who would that be? Who was painting landscapes? And other things. From the back of a Model A Ford. I don't know. Who was this? Modernist artist Georgia O'Keeffe. Georgia O'Keeffe, really? Yeah. Wow. She uh, sought to be closely connected with the scenic New Mexican landscape that right. was the subject of many of her works. Those beautiful flowers and yeah. so forth. Yeah, yeah. But part of uh, working outdoors was that it was hot as hell and plentiful bee swarms, apparently. <laughs> Undeterred, O'Keefe came up with the idea that would protect her from the elements while painting. During her first visit to New Mexico, she purchased a custom Model A Ford to explore the land. It had detachable front seats, and she would remove the passenger seat and spin the driver's seat around to face the back. This allowed her to set up canvas on the back seat while she sat comfortably using the car as protection from the sun and the insects. Wow. 
That's uh, that's pretty cool. It's what a woman, Georgia O'Keeffe. She's uh, painting in the back of a Model A <laughs> Ford. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I never heard that story. Me either. Okay, Marcia, the first commercial motion picture screening. When was it and where was it? The first place anybody ever charged admission. I'll give you some choices. Oh, thank you. Los Angeles, London, Paris, or New York City. And what year was it? Oh, for God's sakes, I don't know. I'll say New York City in 1912. It was before then, and it was not in New York. Okay. It was in Paris Uh in 1895. Uh Now, Thomas Edison had the kinetoscope, but that only allowed one person at a time to view the motion pictures through a peephole. So the brothers, Louis and Auguste Lumiere, they invented the cinematograph, Uh the first motion picture projection system in the mid-1890s to screen films publicly, and the first of those took place in the spring of 1895 at the Grand Café in Paris. Very nice. It sounds like a great place to watch a film. Oh, it does. I love it. And the short films included Workers Leaving the Lumiere Factory. (laughs) Workers Leaving the Factory. People from their own factory. (laughs) Oh, okay. I got another artist question. This guy, before he died, he sold one painting called The Red Vineyard. Okay. Who was it? Was that um, the man who cut his ear off? That's the guy. Okay, and that is Van Gogh. Yes, Vincent van Gogh. He started painting around age 27 and met his untimely demise just a decade later. So he only had 10 years to paint. He rendered a lot of paintings but never sold any of them, except for the Red Vineyard. And he sold it for 400 Belgian francs. That's about $2,000 today, which ain't bad. That was good money back then. Yeah, in the winter of 1890, and then six months later, he died. Well, speaking of artists, how did the monkeys, spelled with two E's, Ah. and the Alamo influence artist David Bowie's musical career? Well, that's a curious twosome. (laughs) Yeah, hey, Bob. Well... How did they influence his musical career? That's the monkeys. The monkeys and who? And the Alamo. Yeah. How did they influence David Bowie's no musical idea. career? Well, he had to come up with a different name because he was born David Robert Jones, but he had to change his name when he was 18 because he wanted to avoid confusion with another British musician named Davy Jones of oh, the monkeys, right? I'm getting it now. And Bowie, what was the first name? Jim, Jim Bowie. Jim Bowie. David Bowie read about him when he went to the Alamo. Yes. And so he liked it. He didn't visit the Alamo that I know of, but he chose Jim Bowie in homage to the Texas hero Jim Bowie, who is played by Richard Widmark in the 1960 film The Alamo. Okay. So that's how the monkeys and the Alamo influenced David Bowie's (laughs) musical career. That's very, I like that. That's (laughs) That's pretty arcane, isn't it? Yes, it is, but I like it. It's history and it's entertainment. Okay. The iconic Sports Illustrated magazine, Bob. You ever get it when you were a kid or oh, your yeah. dad? Yeah, we used to read that. We had Sports Illustrated coming into the house every, what was it, Wednesday. week or two weeks? Every yeah. Wednesday. Uh-huh. Guess what was on the cover when it debuted in 1954? What was on the cover when it debuted in 1954? Would that have been Jackie Robinson by any chance? No. 1954. Okay, that was the year of the four-minute mile. Could that have been the uh, the guy who broke the four-minute mile? Uh, no. Okay, was it? <laughs> okay, I don't know. What was it? Well, you wouldn't have got this. The Milwaukee County Stadium. Oh, really? Yeah, with Eddie Matthews at bat, along with uh, uh, Hank Aaron. He and Eddie Matthews were my mom's favorite Milwaukee Braves at the time, and Eddie Matthews was on the cover of the first 
Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated. Okay. By the way, you can buy a copy of that first issue on eBay for $7,500. Oh, my God, really? (laughs) Yes. Wow. How come you and I keep all the wrong magazines? I do keep. I got Rolling Stone. (laughs) I've got Time, but I didn't get that one. All right. All right. Marshall, let's talk about architecture now. Okay. Okay. What building's dome has a larger diameter? I'm going to give you three choices. Okay. The Pantheon in Rome. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, or the Royal Albert Hall in London. These are domes I'll now. say number two. St. Peter's Basilica? Uh-huh. No, though St. Peter's Dome does have a diameter of 137 feet, the Roman Pantheon, its dome is 142 feet. Oh. That's almost 2,000 years old. Yeah, it's wow, amazing. Wow, yeah. However, <laughs> but. it once had the record for the world's largest dome. That was overtaken by England's Royal Albert Hall in 1871. It has a glazed iron dome of 272 feet in diameter. That's pretty darn big. Okay, another structure, another (laughs) historic structure. All right. What European gate is taller, the Brandenburg Gate in Germany Uh or the Arc de Triomphe (laughs) in Paris? I'll say the Arc of de Triomphe. And you're right. (laughs) It's almost twice as tall. The Brandenburg Gate, built in 1788, which once marked the divide between East and West Germany, Stands 85 feet tall, but the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, commissioned by Napoleon, a little guy, is taller. It's 162 feet high. Classic. Classic. big. It Uh, was commissioned in 1806 and was completed in 1836, 15 years after Napoleon died. Didn't we go to the top of that? Yes, we did. There's a museum up there. Remember they had display cases and everything inside? Yeah, Yeah, that was big. And I remember thinking you could never cross this street in a million years without getting killed. One of my colleagues from Rockwell who worked in Paris said, don't try to cross the street. Take the tunnel underneath because you would die because it's a big circle. It's like the worst roundabout, oh, the roundabout in, in the world in the world in the world the most dangerous roundabout yeah. in the world oh, okay yeah. bob according to the 2023 health index what us states are the healthiest based on such things as life expectancy disease environmental favorability healthcare infrastructure education okay. prevention etc i take california i say that because it's got great beautiful countryside it's, uh-huh. it's gorgeous out there uh-huh it's not in the top five. It isn't. No. Can I ask the different part of the United States this is in? Are they, Is this in the Northeast? No. In the Southwest? Number one? Yeah. Uh, nope. 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 God, I don't know, Marsh. No. Let's let's do North Dakota just for the hell of it. <laughs> no. It's it's way west, Bob. Way west. Okay. So it must be Oregon or Washington way State. West. Oh, Hawaii. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So it's the most. It has the highest health index, 82.2. And that's followed by Massachusetts at 78, Utah, 77.9, okay, Colorado, 77.7, and Connecticut, 76.9. So they all have- They're all good places to live for to, health. For health reasons. They may be have. expensive, but yes. they're good to live for health. You want to guess who's on the rock bottom? Mississippi, West Virginia, Alabama, and Kentucky. Okay. All right, Marcia, what is not one of California's top 10 exports? I'm going to give you a choice here. Okay, I'm going to mm-hmm. give you four of them. Tell me which one is not one of California's top 10 exports. Almonds, diamonds, poultry, or modems? <laughs> I'll say diamonds. No, that's one of them. All right. Almonds, diamonds, poultry, or modems? Poultry. That's right. Believe it or not. Aircraft parts, electronic goods such as modems and semiconductor parts, 
unmounted diamonds, and unshelled almonds are all California products. However, poultry doesn't rank among their top 10 exports. You'd think there'd be a lot of chickens. Huh. What's the most common export shared by 14 <laughs> states? I'm going to give you a choice here. All right. This is the most common shared by 14 states. This is a surprise. Okay. Okay, of all the exports, petroleum, wheat, precious metals, and aircraft parts. What's the most common top export shared by 14 states? Wheat. No. Airplane parts. Yes. <laughs> Believe it or not. Aircraft and airplane parts. It's the most common category of exports in the United States. It huh. tops the list for 14 states. Arizona, Arkansas, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Kansas, Kentucky, Maryland, New Hampshire, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Washington, and Wisconsin. Really? It's the number one export. Yes. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Aircraft and airplane parts. All right. Bob, United States paper money isn't paper. What? What is it? Well, I think it's made out of rags, isn't it? Recycled rags and things like that. It's 75% cotton and 25% linen. Well, that's what I said. It's rags. I, <laughs> I don't want to thought of rags. My mom used to say it's made out of rags. It's dirty. Don't play with it. Oh, it's really? dirty. Rags. Yeah. Oh, I never thought so of it that it way. Was, and this... mom's been dead for years. <laughs> This water-resistant, water, <laughs> this water resistant, durable material can hold up to far more wear and tear than actual wood pulp paper. Huh. While a dollar can be torn with intentional force, it would take an estimated 4,000 repetitive folds to put a tear in it. Think really? about it. Yeah. American dollars also include red and blue synthetic fibers, which are woven into the material and included to make counterfeiting more difficult. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's take a money break. A money break? <laughs> we'll be back on the money. Sure. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And Marsha Smith. Smith. We're back. You're listening to The <laughs> Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Was that a yelp I heard? Was that a roof, roof? What that, was that? That was excitement oh, at being back. excitement. <laughs> if you'd like excitement, visit our website, theofframp.show. <laughs> All right, I'm just trying to get people to go there. Okay. And if you like our show, you can leave a message there. Or if you have a, a funny question or something you'd like to stump one of us with, you can leave that there, too. Just scroll down to the Contact Us portion of our website, theofframp.show. All right, we do this uh, every week for the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin, and their internet radio station. Then it goes on podcast platforms. All over the world. All right. <laughs> All right, Marsha. Okay. For over 30 years, this British Airways passenger jet could fly from London to New York in under three hours. Name this plane. That was the Concorde. That's correct. That was the Concorde, yes. And, and they're talking about bringing those back now in right. a different form. It stopped flying in 2003. It was too noisy and too expensive. By 1996, a round-trip ticket in today's money, would be $12,500. Wow. That's a lot of money to go, but it's under three hours to get from London to New York. And uh, how fast, you want to guess how, how fast how it many, flew? How fast did it fly? What's a normal plane flying? It's 600 miles yeah, per hour, I, something six, like that? seven, I think. So I bet well, at least twice that, 1,200 miles per hour? Well, very good, Bob. It was 1,354 miles an hour, more than twice the speed of sound. And there are still 18 left of them in the fleet, but they're not flying. I did that because I knew it takes about six hours to get from uh, the East Coast to London. 
and oh, the Marvel plane's flying at 600 <gasps> miles per hour. Deductive reasoning. It's Way like to Sherlock go. Sherlock Holmes, right? Such, you know? such cognitive ability. Actually, <laughs> elementary, my dear. <laughs> planes traveling at 600 miles per hour. Yes, if it yes. takes half the time, it's going twice All as right. fast. All okay. right. Very good. All right, Marcia. <laughs> because of their long legs, what birds young are called colts? A repeat, please. Because of their long legs, what birds young are called colts? Are they ostriches? Or no. pelicans? No. Or what are those flamingos? No. I don't know any other. It's one. North America's tallest bird, though. Ah. Stands five feet tall. Uh-huh. It's younger called colts. Yeah. Like baby horses. And the answer is? The whooping crane. Ah. <laughs> there you go. Whoop. That's a good one. Okay. Do you want to play? Who am I? Yes. We started this the last show. <laughs> yes. Okay. So but, this is where you give me a profile of someone, and then I have, have to, to guess who, who it, is. it is. All right. That's, All right. that's fair. She started her career as a teacher and clerk, but became interested in the health field. During the Civil War, she cared for wounded soldiers on the battlefield. When the war ended, she created a bureau to look for missing men. On a trip to Switzerland, she learned about the Red Cross based in Zurich. She worked with the organization during the Franco-Prussian War, and in 1873, she returned to the United States to facilitate the creation of the American Red Cross. If this was Jeopardy, I would have hit that bell three sentences ago. She was Clara Barton. That's it. That's it. Ding, ding, ding. Good old Clara Barton. I think you'll get this one, too. Okay. He had to leave school after only three years. His family moved from Scotland to Allegheny, Pennsylvania, when he was 14 and arrived in America penniless. Uh Aha. I know. This is Andrew Carnegie. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Carnegie. Yeah, right. That's right. And I got uh, a lot more description, but you got it. Okay, yeah. Tell us more about Andrew. He started work as a messenger boy for a telegraph company and rose to become one of the richest men in America as the founder of a major steel company. In 1901, he sold his company for $480 million. That's a lot of money back then, yeah. He believed in philanthropy, and what did he give us a whole lot of, Bob? A lot of libraries in the United States. Beautiful libraries all over the place. He founded 3,000 libraries, Bob, and he educated the people who staffed them. Oh, he trained them? Yeah. Oh, really? He also funded the construction of 7,000 church organs. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that part either. Well, you did very well on well, that segment. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, young man. Nice to be uh, friends with Mr. Carnegie or Carnegie. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He started in telegraphy. There were a number of famous people in the 19th century. They started out as telegraph operators. Yeah. Him? Yeah. Thomas Edison? Uh-huh. David Sarnoff, who came to NBC. and Yeah, they all worked for telegraphy companies. All right, Marcia. Which of these muscles in the human body does not tire The quadriceps, the abs, the cardiac, or the gluteus? Which of these muscles does not tire? The gluteus. No. What keeps working every day, every hour? Yes, that's it. And the average person's heart beats more than 4,000 times an hour. Oh, my God. An hour? How can that be? Divide by 60. 4,000 divided by 60 equals 66. Yeah, it's about 66.6 beats a minute, Marsh. Gosh, that's the average. I always worry about it wearing out like that. 4,000 times an hour your heartbeat. That's amazing. And it does that until the day you die. I think that's fascinating. So if you figure on that average, by the time you're 70, your heart will beat some two and a half billion times. Billion. So that's the cardiac muscle that doesn't tire until it's finally done. All right. 
Bob, if you stayed in the honeymoon suite of the Arbez, A-R-B-E-Z, Arbez, hotel, you would be sleeping in two different countries. I was going to ask you where it is, but you're not going to tell me that. No. Which two countries? Okay, is this in Europe? Yes. Is it in, um, I'm just right down through the middle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, what right would that be? Right through the honeymoon suite. I don't know. Where is this? Okay, it's France and Switzerland. Oh. It's uh, mostly located in La Rousse, France. I checked it out, and you can get a room there, Bob, for as little as $119 a night today. Wow. We should check it out sometime. Okay, but okay. getting there is what cost you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, that's great. All right, Marcia, one more body question. How many muscles are in the human body? Oh. 150, mm. 320, mm. 600, or 3,200? 320. 320? Yeah. No. It's No. No. What was the third one? 600. 600. Yes. <laughs> yes, there are about 600 or more muscles in the human body. What is the strongest, <laughs> strongest bone in the human body? Is it the radius? The scapula, the femur, or the tibia? Come on, this is from the Cleveland Clinic, so femur. I know this is true. What? Femur. What yeah. is that? That's uh, That wouldn't be that strong. That's, that is. Breaking. No, that's it. Is it is it? the femur. It does the break. The thigh bone. It's yeah. the longest, strongest bone in the body. Huh. It, uh, it breaks, is part of though. your uh, ability to stand and move. So All the right. femur supports many important muscles, tendons, ligaments, and components of the circulatory system. And it's so strong, it usually takes severe trauma, like a fall or a car accident, to break the femur. But that is considered the strongest bone in the body, the femur. Huh. That's uh, good to know. Even stronger than your <laughs> funny bone. Your funny bone, you think that would be the one that's that would be hard to break. One. Yeah. That's my big one. All right. This famous route was expanded in 2016 to accommodate the larger size of modern vehicles. Hmm. I'm going to give you some choices Okay, here. all right. The Audubon. Okay. Panama Canal. Hmm. Route 66 or the Silk Road. <laughs> I'll say the Silk Road. That's yes. the, uh, the no. one from China, right? But the answer is no. 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 So is what, it What the are the other ones? Audubon or the Panama Canal. Must be the Audubon for bigger trucks. No. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Any other choices? No. No? The Panama Canal. Really? It was expanded to accommodate the growing number of container and bulk ships that were too big for the original infrastructure. Oh, why didn't I know this? I didn't know it either. And the expansion included the construction of a new set of locks on the Atlantic and Pacific sides of the waterway, creating a third lane of traffic and doubling the cargo capacity of the system. Wow. The locks are 70 feet wider and 18 feet deeper than the original canal. And wow. they use less water. They due use to, less water. Due to water-saving basins, they recycle 60% of the water used per transit. And authorities say, with these uh, improvements, the canal could continue to serve the world for a whole nother century. That's pretty impressive. Okay, Marcia, another muscle story. <gasps> How many muscles are in the tongue? Eight, 16, one, or none? Uh, one. What's that? One. No. None. The soft patty of flesh we call the tongue, it's a conglomeration of eight separate muscles. Oh, really? Yeah. 
That's why you have to train people to speak. You know, you're actually training somebody how to use the tongue. How to move in it. In any language, yeah. you know. Languages use the tongue in different ways. Yeah. So unlike other muscles, such as the bicep, tongue muscles don't develop around a supporting bone. Instead, they intertwine to create a flexible matrix, forming what is called a muscular hydrostat. So don't say it's my tongue, my muscular hydrostat. Or, uh, right on the f- tip of my tongue. <laughs> yeah, the tip of my muscular hydrostat. <laughs> this structure is similar to an octopus's tentacles or an elephant's trunk. Hmm. So your uh, tongue is related to those. All right. So remember, it's not a tongue. It's a muscular hydrostat. Okay. Before we close with my quote of the day, a quickie. Give me a ballpark figure. How old are the atoms that are inside our bodies? How old they are? Yeah. Well, you could say they're as old as we are, but I guess... I guess if you look back and say, okay, every person came from another person, came from another person, came from another person, ad infinitum, we're talking hundreds of thousands of years old. Ah. The atoms in the body are millions of years old. I don't know. What? Yes. According to interestingfacts.com, uh-huh. it's billions of wow. years. Wow. Yes. It's true that age is just a number, Bob. Uh-huh. And billions, in, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and in the cosmic view of the universe, human age is pretty insignificant. But the atoms that make up the human body are already billions of years old. For example, hydrogen, one of the key components in our bodies, formed in the Big Bang 13.7 billion years ago. Jeez. And likewise, carbon in our body is the primary component of all known life. And that was formed in the fiery cauldron of stars at least 7 billion years ago. So, Jeez. So, so, so we are billions of years old. So when someone says we're just made of star stuff, they got something going there. Or if they say, hey, they're only as young as you feel. <laughs> no. That's, on some days, billions of years old sounds I feel right. like I should have retired years yeah. ago now. So our <laughs> cells, these are our atoms in yeah, our body, yeah. are billions of yeah. years old. That's, that's even more of a miracle, isn't it? it? Yeah. And maybe that's why we have weird deja vu. Yeah, I think it probably is. You know, you're going back to the cosmos. All right. All right. You think that fact is interesting. Oh, yes. Which of the following organs can emit its own sounds? (laughs) Tell me the answer to this one. I know. One big one on you. (laughs) What? Okay. Which of the following organs can emit their own sounds? Eyes, liver, brains, or ears? Now, the, the name for these sounds are called the... Auto-acoustic emissions. That's O-T-O. Auto-acoustic emissions. Brain, ears, liver, or eyes? Liver. No. Brain. No. Your ears and eyes generate auto-acoustic emissions. When you hear a tone or a noise, the noise waves are transmitted to a part of your inner ear called the cochlea. These noises stimulate your hair cells in the inner part of your cochlea that send electrical signals to your brain to be processed. Other hair cells in the cochlea are also stimulated. These generate waves along the membrane. Wait a minute, we're not done yet. Oh, my God. And they can help to amplify and fine-tune the sound you hear. So these waves also get sent back out of your ear and can be heard if you amplify them. So Ah. so it's your ear. Your ears make noises. You haven't even heard these noises, <laughs> but your ear is making them. That is so strange. Wow, listen to that. This is from Indiana Public Health, that whole thing. Your ears are making noises. It's, no wonder I can't hear things. It's interference. Interference. All right. <laughs> okay. All right, here's a quote from Martin Luther King Jr. We must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. That's a good one. Yeah. 
That's nice. Finite disappointment, but infinite hope. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. My ears were making noise. (laughs) My ears were making noise. All right. Oh, boy, do you learn interesting facts on this show. All right. That's why we're getting off the off-ramp right now before everyone turns us off. Time to drive off. All right. right. We hope you've enjoyed our show today. And, again, we invite you to visit our website, theofframp.show, to find out more about us if you'd like to or to leave us any comments. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The The Off-Ramp. Did you say Iran? No, I didn't say Iran. I said Iran. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> thought I stop it. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin. Visit us on the web at theofframp.show.